Hello and welcome to Software Tech Talks. I'm Zoe Cunningham. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Kat and Sam. Please, can I ask you both to introduce yourselves, tell us what you do at Software and also an interesting fact about yourself. Hi, I'm Kat. I'm a software developer at Software. I've got a particular interest in accessibility and I am partially called Kat because I have a cat and I like cats. <laughs> Amazing. That is a super fact. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm a software developer here at Software, primarily specializing in mobile and web front end. So I run into accessibility issues a lot. I am a proud parent of a couple of orchids that I can see from where I'm sitting, and very beautiful they are in sunlight too. Ooh, are they difficult to grow orchids? What's harder to to look after, an orchid or a cat? Ooh, very different requirements. Cats tend to just get annoyed if you, like pour some water on them whereas orchids can get over from it. So the thing about cats is that they'll remind you to feed them whereas an orchid won't. It'll just yeah, silently no. wither. Oh. They're very passive aggressive. They'll just kind of sit there being <laughs> sad at you for not looking after them. <laughs> Amazing. So today we're going to talk about digital accessibility. Digital accessibility and indeed accessibility in general has come a long way over the last 20 years both in terms of how well it's implemented and I'm I'm not saying that we are there but there has been a definite improvement and also and perhaps more importantly how seriously the topic is taken and how much knowledge is kind of now available for people who do want to research this and do want to implement good accessibility in their projects. So let's start with an an easy question. So what is accessibility and what in particular is digital accessibility? Accessibility is really a measure of what groups of people can use a system or a product or anything like that. To say a thing is accessible is basically saying this thing can be operated to its intended capacity by as wide a group of differently abled people as possible. So generally speaking, when we say something is accessibility, it's not a super specific term. If we want to be more specific, we'll say it is accessible to blind people or it's accessible to people with dyslexia, for example. So digital accessibility, as the name suggests, is the concerns of accessibility when applied to software or hardware systems that use some sort of digital interface. So this is obviously stuff like websites, that's pure software, or it could be stuff like integrated electronics, like your washing machine. I think that technically counts. (laughs) And there's a huge range of assistive technologies around these days for interacting with digital systems. And that can range anywhere from, you know, things like voice recognition and text-to-speech that's on mobile handsets these days, generally comes pre-installed or easily enabled, all the way out to technologies like Braille output devices that will form Braille characters under someone's fingers in lieu of screen for blind users. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, so something that we talk about as well, which is clearly related, but perhaps not the same thing, is usability. So how is accessibility different from usability? Accessibility is a measure of which groups of people can use a system. And usability is a measure more of a specific group. How easy is it for them to use a system? So it's looking at concepts such as 
how intuitive the system is, given a group and their expected experiences, will they be able to intuit how to interact with something based on the interface you're providing? It's also stuff like memorability. If they have not used the system for a while, how easy is it to remember to use? There's stuff like efficiency, which is how many actions does a user have to take to achieve a certain outcome? Like, I want to save a document. How quickly can I do that? Is there a keyboard shortcut, which is a single action? Or you could argue a couple of actions if it's like control S. Or do I have to go into like three nested layers of menus to save something, which I would hope there is no software that exists today that does that. But it is a measure of usability. Yes. So accessibility really is a much more basic measure of can everyone actually get to use it at all, rather than how how easy it is for them to use it. So ideally, yes, you want a system that is accessible to as many people as possible. And it is also usable by those groups of people. Yeah, accessible is setting a lower bar of can someone use the system and sort of forms a necessary prerequisite before it can have high usability for that person, right? Cool. So why is it so important that we think about and talk about accessibility and implement? (laughs) So one of the most immediately relevant reasons to a lot of clients is that there's profit incentives to do so. You're broadening your customer base. The more people that can use a product, the broader the pool of people that potentially will use the product and pay you for it. And then further down the very kind of, you know, ruthless reasons. There's also factors to consider, like it drastically improves SEO. Search engines like Google care a great deal about within their own standards of what constitutes the right thing to be serving people. They do factor in, is this content that is going to be easy for people to use? There's also this overlap whereby content that is accessible to assistive technologies like screen readers that is made accessible by exposing more information to systems and computers about the content that's being served, what it's for, how it should be used. And that is also fundamentally useful for other systems like search engines to take advantage of. It's much easier if a screen reader knows the overall layout of your content and which bits are important. That is still information that Google can look at to work out the overall layout of your content and which bits are important. So another reason why you might want to make things accessible, I say want, that's not going to be accurate in a second, is that under the Equality Act of 2010, disability is a protected characteristic and any sort of government website or a service that is receiving government funding is required to at least meet AA accessibility, which is like the average. It's not bare minimum, it's not super compliant it's just this is the average accessibility level you should be meeting so that's all stuff like local government websites or school websites with the exception of like primary and infant schools anything to do with sort of nhs or providing council services or healthcare to people comes under that as well Mm, and perhaps also it's it's just a good thing to do right (laughs) yeah absolutely like there's a huge moral incentive fundamentally we shouldn't be leaving people behind particularly as technology is a increasingly important part of people's lives. We're hitting on the ones that clients typically run into first, which is, as we say, profit incentive and legal requirements. But there is absolutely a moral argument, I think, for Kat and I. This is the one that really drives it for both of us. Absolutely. It's essential that you ensure that as many people as possible have access to 
as much of modern life as possible in that regard. Mm. I'm totally convinced by your argument. So why doesn't everyone just do this automatically? It can be hard work. It can take time. It doesn't come completely for free. If you just naively produce software, systems are increasingly good. A lot of the time it will have a baseline level of accessibility, but it's not always the case that everything just works perfectly first time. There are trade-offs to be made and there's also expected trade-offs that maybe aren't necessarily the case. You know, clients can worry that it's a case of making things better for, you know, people with access need specific access needs at the cost of a typical user base. And that can be a concern for them that they're diminishing the appeal of their application service product for the rest of their client base. For example, like you might want a very eye-catching website with lots of um, dynamic elements, which make it hard to sort of ignore certain parts of the website. But those dynamic elements could be a problem to certain users. Maybe they could be distracting or they could even be confusing if the user isn't aware that they're being updated in the background. And we also run into an issue quite often where clients are invested in seeing something that they can use as soon as possible. And so when it comes to that balance of factory and accessibility, it's much easier to build accessibility in from the ground up and, you know, have it be a factor through your entire design dev review process. And clients wanting to just have a feature that they can see as soon as possible can be in tension with that because it can lead people to wanting to build something first and then retrofit the accessibility in later. And that really is a struggle because, like I say, it needs to be factored in from the very early stages of design and development. You can retrofit accessibility, but it's a lot more work than just having it be a concern throughout. I mean, yeah, because accessibility really we're both software developers, but it really starts before we should be getting involved. It starts with UX and UI, where you're thinking, right, how cluttered should this page be? What elements should we have? What colors should we use? Yeah, like from experience, my focus is inevitably going to be on what it's like to implement accessibility concerns. But yeah, very much some of the worst accessibility offenders are just things like very distracting or confusing ads that make it harder to navigate. And when, say, navigation is already potentially slower for someone, reductions in usability can have much greater impacts on people that have additional accessibility needs. So actually, when we're thinking about, you know, what point in the process do you start thinking about accessibility? It's actually similar to all other good engineering concerns, right? You know, good engineering practices. Because engineering systems are complex to change, you need to be thinking about them at the start so that you're building it in as you go go along rather than trying to add it in at the end. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a tendency for process to end up with these kind of slices of we're going to worry about all of the getting stuff done and then we're going to worry about all of the making it look pretty and all of the making it accessible. And that's really the wrong direction to be slicing things. It's much better to have slice along a particular feature and get it done start to finish. But start to finish needs to include how it's going to holistically be part of the system. We just need to kind of shift the axes along which we're thinking and think about for this feature, make sure that each of those elements of being well-designed, being accessible are factored in throughout its lifetime before we start worrying about moving on to other features that we're building in. Yeah, if the accessibility concern is, ooh, I've used a button where a link would be more appropriate, that's easy enough to fix. But if it's our user journey requires use of the mouse, 
it's hard to then go, yeah, okay, so we need to make this accessible to keyboards only. We need to redesign everything from the ground up. Yes. Okay. Okay. So this is obviously a very large and complex field. So are you able to give me maybe like a rough breakdown of what kinds of things, what categories of things you need to consider from an accessibility point of view? So I occasionally do internal accessibility audits on some of the projects that Softwire is running. Basically, if they just need a sanity check to look at hey, this thing that we're making before we send it off to a dedicated accessibility review house, could you take a look at it and flag up the things that might be an issue? So I have seen a fair number of things which tend to keep coming up again and again. For example, I think the big one of the biggest ones is a tendency to have not very useful link text. So in a lot of websites that I have checked, you have a lot of links which have text somewhere along the lines of click here or read more. These are tempted to do if you're using a card layout, which is quite popular in design at the moment. So you've got a big you've got a big square, probably an image in it, and then you've got a little title thing and then a click more button. And although the entire card might be clickable, the actual link is usually just the read more section. Or it doesn't even have to be a card. It can be just like, here's a heading, an opening paragraph, and then read more. The reason why this is an issue is that particularly for people who have either poor eyesight or are blind and therefore rely on screen readers, one way of navigating through a website when you're using a screen reader is to look through the list of links. So in fact, some screen readers even have a function which is just get me a list of all of the links on the page. And if your list looks like read more, read more, read more, read more, you really don't know what that website is offering you. You don't know where you want to go and you have to start looking for context. And that means reading line by line. This problem is very representative of the sort of problems that you encounter if you're using a website with a screen reader. So when you're using your eyes to look at a website, we say that a website is sort of a two-dimensional thing because obviously you've got X and Y on the page. You can scan a website, you can scroll up and down it, you can just look at a big overview of what's on the page and you can just get that image by going left, right and up and down in any order you want. If you're using a screen reader, a website is more of a one-dimensional thing where everything is ordered. You can move forward and backwards through the content on the web page but you can't just sort of get a quick overview. You can't sort of jump from one bit to the other without scrolling through the list of content. And the concern there then is that you need to be structuring the contents in a way that kind of gives the tools to navigate around effectively, right? Yes, because um, a lot of the things that we think about when considering users of screen readers is how can we make it as easy as possible to jump through that linear list of context without having to read every single bit of content on the page. So this is, as I've just said, links are a big one. You can scan through the links, see what sort of things that you can access on that page are. But another thing is headings, which are actually marked up programmatically. So you make a bit of text big and bold, that's fine for sighted users. But if you're using a screen reader, it can't tell that that's a heading. And therefore, you just have to scroll through each line to see the news headline. Whereas if that news headline is an actual heading, you can just hit a key and take you to the next heading, which will be that news headline. And you can go, ah, so that's the content of this page. It is probably a write-up 
under the title of that news heading. Yeah, so this is exactly kind of what you mentioned at the start, wasn't it, about using this structure actually has other benefits as well, because it's kind of structuring your content properly. I just, I'm finding this fascinating because it's just great to get this insight into how some users are using the internet totally differently. And I can definitely see from my point of view how easy it is to get stuck in thinking about my way of using the internet. And that's why it's so important to kind of think about this stuff. Yeah, I think it's really important to have a breadth of perspectives. Part of the benefit of someone like Kat doing accessibility audits and then indeed, as she mentioned, sending them off for more thorough accessibility audits is it's people that are informed on the context of different types of users and different ways of using systems. Because it's not intuitively obvious to someone who is, say, sighted and otherwise unimpeded by all of the ways we access technology today. It's not obvious necessarily the things that could be hard for people. And there's such a broad space of potential needs and concerns. But equally, as Kat mentioned with regards to headings, the tools are very much there. And that's a great example of something that is an extra developer effort. That's just, that's how you should be doing things anyway, for a multitude of reasons. There's no reason not to be marking something as a kind of true heading rather than just making it visually stand out. And it's probably one of my biggest frustrations looking at projects where accessibility is poor is more often than not, there's a failure to just use the tools that are already there. We said that you do need to think about it and you need to factor it in. But equally, if you're using the tools in the right way, you do get quite a lot of it for free. It won't be perfect, but just using things as they're intended will get you a really long way. Yeah. So so we're talking there about, we already mentioned audits earlier, which are obviously like a great way to kind of find out what is already wrong <laughs> from an accessibility point of view, and also kind of using tools properly. How would you kind of build this into a process? You know, if you were to kind of give people a list of instructions and say, look, on this project, we're going to get accessibility right, therefore you are all going to, how would you design that? It's just got to be factored in earlier, right? Audits, as you say, are post hoc things that are great at catching issues. And if that's your entire project, then you've got a lot of work on your hands now. But if it's something that's factored in continuously, then you can hit those things much earlier and, you know, catch them even before you've spent dev time at a kind of design level, right? Yeah, I I would actually say, from my perspective, the most important thing to sort of factor into your pipeline is getting actual test users who are part of the groups of disabled people or different demographics that you are intending to create your system for. So it's all well and good coming to someone like me who has done some accessibility training and have learnt to use a screen reader for that training. But I can't like tell you what it's like as an actual blind person to navigate a website. I have much less experience using a screen reader. I have the ability to cheat and double check what I'm looking at if I'm not sure what the screen reader is telling me. So one of the most important things is to, early in your design process, what you want to do is you want to actually get some feedback from different groups of people. So that might be blind users, it could be dyslexic users, it could be people on the autism spectrum, it could be older people who may be having trouble with their memory. It's getting them in front of like a prototype of your system and seeing how are they trying to interact with this system? Are they having difficulties with something? What is that difficulty? 
that will give you this sort of insight into how actual users will interact with your system early in your like process get your developers to look at the web content and accessibility guidelines so that they have in their head the sort of things they need to be looking at you should be thinking about let's create a small snippet of this website and let's get some users actually looking at it and that gives you much more accurate feedback than me doing an audit although I can at least like pick up some sanity checks and it's easier to ask someone like me to do an audit than it is to get a big group of users. None of this should be super shocking, right, to the people that are already used to building software or commissioning software. This is kind of, on some level, just normal user research and best practice. Like you can sit everyone in your company down and come up with what you think is the best idea, but sooner or later you need to stick it in front of actual users and get feedback. And in the case of accessibility, that means putting it in part of users with those accessibility needs and getting their feedback. As you say, you can you can have someone who say is sighted give you some feedback on what it's like to use a screen reader, but it's never going to be as complete as someone for whom that is their daily experience of interacting with the web or things like that. This is a super good point. And actually, again, for me, it kind of reminds me of general engineering principles, right? And actually, (laughs) you're not trying to design, we're not trying to theoretically design a system. What's the best possible theoretical way to do this? It's actually practically, how are people using it? You know, what do they, they try and interact with and making sure that it works for them? Um, And also, having seen user research sessions of people using screen readers and other assistive technologies, it's fascinating. Like, it's one thing to know that these tools exist, but seeing someone who is used to using them, actually using them in practice, is absolutely eye-opening. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sam and Kat. I hope that's helped everyone listening to learn a little bit more about this important topic. It's certainly helped me to learn a lot more. If you're working on a site or an app and you need some help with accessibility, do drop us a line and we'll be happy to have a chat to you.